افضل الجهاد كلمه حق عند سلطان جائر او كما قال عليه الصلاه والسلام respected friends when it comes to the feeling and empathy with the ummah rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam taught this as an independent and an exclusive lesson that every muslim must have the feeling for a muslim wherever that muslim may be whether they share one's language whether they share one's ethnicity whether they have got a different skin color whether they got a different lifestyle But as long as a person is the reciter of the kalimatu tawhid la ilaha illallah muhammadur rasulullah we are duty bound to have empathy and feeling for the individual disagreements may always exist disagreements exist inside your own household it may exist between a husband and a wife father and son whatever the case may be but then there is a point when one has to look beyond that disagreement a person can't say that you know what i disagree with my 13 14 year old so therefore every opportunity we have a fight i'm going to show him the door tell him to pack his bags and leave it doesn't work like that every time i have a fight with my wife then therefore she need i need to leave she needs to leave and then that that particular type of family now will become like a focus of attention for what your social work they're, they're a dysfunctional family So Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala understands that individuals from time to time will disagree but there is a point wherein one has to overlook all of that and has a, and have a sense of empathy for every person on a basis people have empathy for different reasons empathy means that feeling of sorrow of of sadness if something happens to you that's bad that feeling of joy if something good happens to you people have it for different reasons one is friendship People have it for their friends. That you've got a long-lost friend, childhood friend, Muslim or non-Muslim for that matter, and you met him after five, six years. Hey, you know what? What happened to you? And he gives you a sad story. You have got empathy for that person because he's your friend. You've got joy for that person if he told you some good news. It's a different type of feeling you have for that person. One exclusive type of empathy that Rasulullah SAW specifically taught was what a Muslim must have for another Muslim. And Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam expressed it in many different ways. On one occasion, he tells the Sahaba radhiyallahu anhum that the ummah kal bunyan, the entire Muslim ummah, is like a single building. Ya shuddu ba'duhum ba'da. Some of that building strengthens the other part of that building. Now, what he was saying is that your strength depends upon the strength and the well-being of another part of that building. It's not possible that you could be living in a 120 uh you know apartment building and then in the far corner there's a crack developing over there or there's a water problem there and you live with the expectations that listen here I'm on this side here of the building I can wait it out it's only a matter of time that the same issue that happens on that side over there will find its way some way or the other it may not come crashing on your head but by some negative feeling mold or something is now going to end up on your side if that is not given attention it's not possible that a tenant could now sit and say or a or, 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 or owner could now sit and say oh it's those people's problem therefore i don't need to collectively sort it out this is what rasulullah is using by way of that simile that if any part of this ummah is in any form of distress then it is inevitable that if it is not addressed and if the, if concern for it is not had then the very same issue may not come to you in the same force that they are experiencing but some negative effect of it will find its way towards you in your lifetime in a short period of time
This is what he mentioned or he means by yashuddu ba'duhum ba'da. Some of it strengthens the other some. And then Rasulullah uses another example, a very personal type of example. When he says that the believers fi tawadduhim in, in, their, in their love and in their, uh, in their affection that they have for one another, ka jasadin wahidin is like a single body. Like a what? Like a single body. That inishtaka ra'suhu, that if the head of that body or the eyes of that body, either way, the example is the same. That if the eyes complain or the head complains, the entire body is in distress. It's not that it is independent from one another. It's not that the mind is not going towards the panados because the eyes are paining or because you're running a fever. It doesn't take an independent approach by saying that, listen here, that I am not interested in you. I'm not interested in now going to a painkiller. The tongue does not say I can't swallow tablets or whatever. So therefore, I'm going to give zero attention towards you. The stomach, the intestines don't now complain to the eyes by saying that I'm not willing to digest whatever you put inside me by way of medication and distribute it to the rest of the body. Why? Because it's not my problem. I don't, the pain is not in the stomach, it's not with me sitting with the eyes. So why in the world must I be concerned? Rasulullah uses this example to show unity and some level of conformity. To expect people to conform all the time is an impossibility. Even amongst the Sahaba radiallahu anhum, there were those with different temperaments, different outlooks, everything different about them. So there was some level of conformity that was expected, but it can never be a hundred percent. And it's not even expected to be a hundred percent for that matter. But what is required and what is an obligatory practice is that a person has a sense of empathy for every single mu'min, every single believer. So nationally, alhamdulillah, around about this time, the middle week of May or so, as one may have noticed, if one is familiar with the regular ulama chats and these type of information that continues to spread, it's normally reserved and has been reserved for the last 20 years or so to discuss one particular conflict, one particular concern. I wouldn't even call it a conflict. It's a concern of the ummah. Ultimately, conflict is with Iman and Kufr. It's all over the whole world for that matter. But one particular flashpoint of concern, and that is Baytul Maqdis and Palestine in particular. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala refers to the land of Palestine in the Quran on a number of occasions. Sometimes directly, Subhanalladhi asra bi abdihi laylam min al masjid al haram ila al masjid al aqsa alladhi barakna hawla, which is normally discussed at the time of our Isra and our Miraj. And other times Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala refers to it in a subtle way. For a reason that the Sahaba radiallahu anhum, not all of them were familiar with that area, but they knew that it existed. Hence Rasulullah himself, he would consistently encourage people to give attention to that part of the world. Look at this, right? Rasulullah before he left this dunya, at the time of the Hajjat al-Wada, he established what is known as the Miqats for people coming from all different directions. So we now coming from the south of the world, back in the day when you used to take a direct flight, it hasn't been available for some time now, but back in the day when you were taking a direct flight out of Johannesburg, your pilot 
even though his name is Mr. Fandamarva, has been tuned enough to know that because he's landing in Jidda, he's going to announce there 15, 20 minutes before that, you know what, to all those who are in a state or desiring a state of ihram, we are crossing the miqat. On one occasion back in the day, when you were allowed to go to the cockpit, right? Nowadays, you, can't, you show up at the cockpit there, they'll land the plane in the nearest airport to, to, to ask you why you, you're coming by the door. But back in the day, when it was a bit more free, right? And even people would take their children, hey, let's go and see the pilot and walk right to the front of the, of the plane. And every, many people here can remember that. On one particular flight, the flight attendant came in the middle of the night before landing in Jeddah. The pilot wants to know what is the miqat. Asking the person who looked like a buzruk two seats down. Says, you know what, I don't know that, but is there any alim? Like how a person looks for a doctor around here and uh, so happened to be me. And so you know what, the, miqat, the pilot has been flying this route on a number of occasions and every time he's instructed by the flight control to announce at this point that we are crossing the miqat but he doesn't know up until now he's asking if anybody can take this time to explain to him what is the miqat and the crossing of the miqat so having the honor going there two pilots flight attendants flight control sitting and explaining the miqat and and and, and amazed at the response of these people by saying at that time your Nabi already had, or your Deen already showed demarcations of the earth. What was east, what was west, what was a point of entry, a non-point of entry. What system? Of course, those people can appreciate it because in that particular game, where nobody else had this concept. Europe or the rest of the world didn't even have a concept of direction for that matter. Deen was already speaking about how the different divisions of the you know, the Holy Land or Beitul Maqdis or anything would be where it would extend from at this point to another point. What would be the internal boundary of Makkah known as the hill? That's Masjid Aisha where we go and do a second Umrah from in Tan'im. That's the internal circle, the external circle, which is the Miqat that we have to now wear Ihram from before we cross that particular area. Amazed at this. So he's asking, okay, Yalamlam. The point that on the map, Yalamlam was clear there on his radar. That at this point, Yalamlam is on the border just by Yemen. That, you know, this particular area, where are the other Miqats? Showing him this, the northern one, Zatul Irq, the people from Iraq, the people from Egypt. Rasulullah established five Miqats. And so it happened that even today, they are all on primary routes that exist even up to today that no aircraft and no land transport will be able to come in the area because of geography, topography of the earth unless they pass by these five miqats established by Rasulullah 1400 years ago. Of all those miqats, there were active Muslim communities that were there at the time of Hajjatul Wida. An active Muslim community in Yemen that would need to cross Yalamlam in order for them to wear ihram and to now come for the final hajj. Active community in the north, uh, uh, established already, there was only one area that did not have an active Muslim community and that was the land of Sham and Syria under the land of the Romans. But Rasulullah in one narration ins instructed that this will be their miqat. Some of the Sahaba even asked him, O Messenger of Allah, we're expecting people from there, from that land, Palestine, to come here. Rasulullah mentions, if not now, tomorrow, if not now, 10 years from now, but that will be a miqat coming from the people of Sham. Why? Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has put barakah in that area. It's going to be a fort of deen. 
It's going to be Ardu Ribat. It's going to be a land of the protection of Deen right till the end of time. They couldn't understand it because it was under the Roman control at that point in time. A superpower, a Christian superpower was managing it everywhere else. There were communities of Muslims. But Rasulullah giving that area attention even before at the time of Hajjatul Wida. Then Rasulullah says that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala presented upon me all the lands of the earth. All the lands of the earth. And he tells the Sahaba radiallahu anhum that alaykum bisham, that you hold on to that part of the world. It will not be easy to stay there. This is the greater Palestine area. It will not be easy to stay there. But those who do so and those who remain patient upon the series of calamities, they will be at the forefront of defending the izzat and the honor of the Muslims. And it was always the case from the time of the Crusaders, which is basically middle history, to now for that matter, to the days when the Sahaba radiallahu anhum defeated the Roman Empire under Umar radiallahu anh, that always remained a special focal point in the life of the Muslims. Previously, whenever the Palestinian issue was discussed in the years gone by, it was discussed in a very secular issue, in a very secular way. Previous people, you're looking at previous the 1940s and 50s, those that headed the cause were in their own way very secular type of people. But in recent years, alhamdulillah, the focus and attention has been more upon the fact that it is not a secular or a worldly issue, but rather it is an issue which is what is regarded as pan-Islamic, affecting every single Muslim. The first person who wrote about this was Mawlana Hussein Ahmad Madani Rahmatullahi. Mawlana Hussein Ahmad Madani Rahmatullahi, the famous Indian freedom fighter, the principal of Darulum Dioban, who remained in exile for a number of years. Sheikh Hind was his teacher and they remained on the island of, of Malta, which is of course a famous, well-discussed incident. When he came back, one of the first fatawa that he wrote when he returned back, he was informed by the communities of Palestine that what was happening just before the creation of the so-called Jewish state, what they were doing is that they were coming to poor Palestinian farmers who all their lives were battling and toiling with the soil. They were farmers, subsistence farmers as we would call them today, making them ridiculous offers for their land. Because the whole idea was to string land together and make a mini state by this farm, by the neighboring farm, by the neighboring farm. You know, as how some people make mini estates for themselves by securing properties that are neighboring. And as a result, you have a country, maybe not if country is far-fetched, but that was their idea in, you know, at that point in time. One of the first fatawa that he answered was regarding a scholar who writes to him and say that the people here are selling their lands and uh, what do you think about it and he responds by saying it is not permissible for them to sell in the area of jerusalem because omar radiallahu made the entire land as waqf for the muslims as waqf for the muslims the entire land a hundred square kilometers around masjid al-aqsa as waqf for the muslims so as it is not permissible for a person to sell masjid land if somebody made this land waqf to the masjid we can't get together and say you're selling it, you know, to making a profit out of it. It's there for the usage of the Muslims. And if they don't want to use it, then they can vacate and go somewhere else. But it has to be, it has to remain within the occupation and the ownership 
of Al-Quds right till the end of time. And then slowly people started becoming a bit more attentive from that point in time that it's never and never was a secular issue. It never was entirely a political issue only about land. But it was about the custodianship of Masjid Al-Aqsa and the entire land that the Sahaba anhum paid for in blood. The first one who alluded to this year was Sultan Abdul Hamid II. Sultan Abdul Hamid II of the Ottoman, of the Uthmaniyin, of the, Ottoman, the, the, the third last Khalifa of the Ummah, in 1897 received a proposal from the then head of the Zionist Federation, Theodore Herzl. The Turkish government at that time, the country at that time was in debt. At that time, their debt was sitting at 11.2 billion. US dollars. Today in our terms, the country was owing maybe over a trillion if one had to now use the assessment from 1897 right till now. He comes and he makes him an offer. He says, I'll pay you 2.5, 25% of your debt, which is now the, the subjected interest that you are now going to pay for the next 12, 13 years. That means you carry on sorting out the capital amount. I will pay the, 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 the interest that is supposed to be accrued for the next 10, 15 years. Theodore Herzl, who's the head of the Zionist Federation, tells him, in exchange that you give us 10 square meters in including Jerusalem. That's all. 10 square meters is not, 10, 10 square kilometers is not a big piece of land. 10 square kilometers is an average size suburb, neighborhood. This is what I will pay. A ridiculous sum. His response, which although he was in a state and the country was in a state of weakness at that point in time, he said, I cannot give this land the same land that my ancestors fought for with their blood and fertilized it with their blood. And every generation of Muslims that came there, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala took from them a share of sacrifice. They may not have had much of the dunya of the world, but whatever they had was a spirit of sacrifice that was unmatched. And in the end, he writes the hadith of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, ذَلِكَ الشَّامِ أَرْضُ جِهَادٍ وَرِبَاطٍ إِلَى يَوْمِ الْقِيَامَةِ That that is the land of Sham, Greater Palestine, which will remain a protection for the Ummah and jihad in the part of Allah right till the end of time. As long as the Muslims desire it and want it, Allah Ta'ala will take from them whatever sacrifice, but they will remain focused if they understand the focus of that particular place. We may be far away from the conflict, we may be far away from Kashmir, from Palestine, from wherever the Ummah is now, you know, suffering physically for that matter. But as per the introduction, what we spoke about earlier on, the sense of empathy and feeling goes far beyond distance. Because it is possible that a person could be sitting somewhere else in the world, but they could have a level of empathy that is unmatched. Let's say, for example, your son goes and studies in another part of the world. He's far away. Physically, he's far away. But if he has to pick up the phone to his mother and say, I'm feeling cold, even though he may be sitting in another country, he may be sitting in the northern hemisphere, that empathy will not be felt by his neighbors who don't care whether he's cold or hot. It will not be felt by his professor who's this there to teach the, the lesson and to move on. It may not even be felt by his sponsor who brought him here in the first place, but it will be felt by his mother who's sitting here in Durban that she'll be sitting here crying and worrying how to get him warm clothes and how to get him money or whatever he needs. Why? Because the distance is immaterial 
if the empathy genuinely exists between people. Now this is what Rasulullah mentions, that the believers are like a single body. That if one part of that body is now in distress, the entire body becomes in distress. And the expression of that empathy is twofold. It's twofold. One is that a person actively goes to patronize the place. Why does a person come early to the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, read some salah, make some dhikr, etc. What are you doing? What, what is the purpose? One thing is that the instruction of Nabi Sallallahu to come early, but you are what is called patronizing the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which is an act of ibadah, of reward on its own. You're going for Umrah. Your desire for the Baytullah, your desire for Masjid and Nabawi, Sallallahu Alaihi is there. Fine, you are getting reward for the act of Umrah itself. But what are you doing by sitting there for long and lengthy hours? You are patronizing the place. You are laying claim that as an ummati of Rasulullah it is mine. I own it not in the territorial sense, but I own it by way of my desire and my right to be here. That is the first thing. The patronizing of what belongs to you and us. The patronizing of the place is a responsibility unto the ummah that it doesn't belong to anybody. Otherwise, if a person fails to patronize a house that technically belongs to him, how often it is a person comes to you and say, you know what, hey, we had a lot of property in India, but I don't know what happened to it, man. My father, grandfather, all of them never follow up. It's gone now. You know why it's gone? Because nobody patronized the place. So ultimately, it's not going to sit like in a void. It's not going to sit like in a void. Some insan, some spiders, some makhluqat of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, whether it is a wild dog or a wild cat or, or, or a human being or anybody for the, or even the government for that matter, will come now and patronizing it because you didn't lay claim to it. That works with an empty house. It works with an empty land. It works with, with anything that you have technically abandoned that, that is now physical and you can see. It will also work with Masjid al-Aqsa and Baytul Maqdis as well. That if the Ummah fails to patronize it and lay claim to it, that it belongs to ours, to, you know, to us. Uh, fine, somebody may have got custody of it, but it still belongs to mine. Like a person who something has been taken away from them, consistently fights the case. No, no, it's mine, it's mine, it's mine, and I want it back. Some generation along the line, if you and your claim is true, it is the system of Allah that somehow it will come back to you. Maybe not the initial grandfather who claimed it, but somebody who, consistent, who was consistent with the fight, it will now come back to them. Patronizing what belongs to the signs of the ummah belongs to us. That is our responsibility. And also to remain concerned about the physical well-being of the people who are there, who are doing us a favor by looking after the place. That old auntie that is sitting there before Juma on a, on a stool to make sure that this place here belongs to the Ummah is doing our work for us. She is a Mujahid on the front line, even though she may be sitting there with a walking stick because we are here and she is there. We are here and she is there. Hence to remain ever concerned with the people of that particular area, are they doing well? What is their physical and resource well-being? Because ultimately, their enemy is a formidable enemy from a worldly point of view. 
from the deen point of view allah ta'ala describes them and every enemy for that matter as baytul ankabut the house of a spider there's a whole surah called the spider in the quran al-ankabut and if ever a person wants to study how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brings down kingdoms and communities, Suratul Ankabut has got the key to that discussion inside there. Wherein Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uses one description that those who are the friends of Iblis, of Shaitan, those who are the friends of the dunya, Kabaytil Ankabut, they are like the house of a spider. And then Allah ta'ala says, Ittakhada Baytan. This spider here made a house referring to its web right made its web and then allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the ohan the most weakest of houses that you could possibly have the baytul ankabut is the house of what the house of the spider so what does allah ta'ala refer to that the network seems to be vast of a spider's web the network seems to be touching this wall and that wall and this tree and going beyond and bigger any house compared to the size of the occupant which is the spider that you could ever imagine but ultimately it is the weakest of houses because if allah ta'ala wills and people are strong enough the entire network comes crashing down and nobody even knows how quickly it came down where the spider went where its house went nobody even cares for that matter Allah Ta'ala uses that description to now encourage the Ummah that don't be worried about vast networks and where they are going and what they are doing. You do your job. You patronize the place. You worry about those who are now on the front line of that place. You consistently reflect upon your condition and do not be overwhelmed by these people's network. Yes, if you want to take a lesson from their network, by all means do so. Ultimately, Although the entire intention is a negative and a bad one, the elements inside there of their diligence or whatever, one can take a lesson from there. It's not, you know, it's not exclusive to them. Even Nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam implied certain strategies from different communities that he put it inside there. The khandak, the trench that was dug to protect Madinatul Munawwarab wasn't an Arab strategy, wasn't a Muslim strategy. It was a Persian strategy, even though the Persian Empire came crashing down at the hands of the Muslims, Rasulullah did not resist in implementing strategies of warfare and strategies of learning that may have been popular in that particular part of the world. So when people talk of the network itself, the reference is the nefarious intention behind it not components of the system where one could learn and possibly benefit from in the sake of the deen it boils down to intention and near at the same time in conclusion my respected friends this is of course part of a national khutbah a national sermon of Bayt al-Maqdis and the land of Bayt al-Maqdis that has been delivered across the country to create awareness create awareness not necessarily because it's restricted only to the middle month of May but it is also associated with a very serious and a very significant point a flashpoint in Islamic and modern Islamic history and that is known as the Nakba Nakba means what catastrophe it is in reference to the expulsion of over a million Palestinians from their home 75 years ago at the hands of the enemies, not just of them, but the enemies of the Ummah for that matter. And it is important that ever so once in a while, whilst all the other discussions of Deen are relevant, what happens in the dunya around us is revisited 
so that we may take an ibra, a lesson from there, and we may engage in the empathy that Rasulullah taught us in the interest of the greater ummah, which is an ibadah, a worship on its own. Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah, Yaqail, Bada, Audhu Billahi, Minash Shaitan, Rajim, Bismillah, Rahman, Rahim, Wadu, Ila, Sabili, Rabbika, Bil Hikmati, Wal Mawida, Til Hassana, Fanahmadu, Hamdan, Kathiran, Kulema, Yahmadu, Hamidun, Wanashkuru, Shukran, Jamilan, Kulema, Yashkuru, Shakirun, Wasallallahu, Alan Nabi, Wasallallahu, Alehi, Wala, Ali, Salat, Wasalama, Da, Imataini, Mutalazi, Mataini, La, Yomi, Yujma, Ula, Waluna, Wala, Hirun, Amma, Bad, Faya, Iwan, Nas, Usik, نفسي بتقوى الله فقد فاز المتقون ويقول الله عز وجل كنتم خير أمة أخرجت للناس تأمرون بالمعروف وتنهون للمنكر وقال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم من رأى منكم منكرا فليغير بيده فإن لم يستدف بلساني وإن لم يستدف بقلبه وذلك أضعف الإيمان أو كما قال عليه الصلاة والسلام هذا وحثكم على طاعة الله وطاعة رسوله ومن يفع الله ورسوله فقد رشد واهتدى ومن يعص الله ورسوله فقد خسر وغوى واستغفر الله لي ولكم ولسائر المسلمين فاستغفروه فيا فوز المستغفرين ويا نجاة التائبين <تصفيق> الحمد لله الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونربي وتوكل عليه ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهدي الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له ونشهد ولا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له ونشهد أن سيدنا ونبينا ومولانا محمد عبده ورسوله أرسله بالحق بشيرا ونذيرا بين يدي الساعة من يطع الله ورسوله فقد رشد ومن يعصهما فإنه لا يضر إلا نفسه ولا يضر الله شيئا أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل على محمد عبدك ورسولك وصل على المؤمنين والمؤمنات والمسلمين والمسلمات وبارك على محمد وأزواجه وذريته قال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم رحمه أمتي بأمتي أبو بكر رضي الله تعالى 
عثمان واشهدهم في امر الله عمر رضي الله تعالى واستقم حياء عثمان رضي الله تعالى واقضاهم علي رضي الله تعالى وفاطمه سيدنا سيحل الجنه والحسن والحسين سيدا شباب اهل الجنه وحمزه اسد الله واسد رسوله اللهم اغفر العباس وولده مغفره ظاهره وباطنه لا تغادر ذنبا وعن كل الصحابه اجمعين الله الله في اصحابي لا تتخذهم غرضا من بعدي فمن احبهم فبحب احبهم ومن ابغضهم فببغض ابغضهم وخير امتي قرني ثم الذين يلونهم ثم الذين يلونهم ربنا اتنا في الدنيا حسنه وفي الاخره حسنه وقنا عذاب النار اللهم وفقنا لما تحب وترضى من الفعل والقول والعمل والنيه والهدى انك على كل شيء قدير اللهم عز الاسلام والمسلمين اللهم انصر من نصر دين سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم واجعل منهم عباد الله رحمكم الله ان الله يامر بالعدل واحسان وايتاء ذي القربى وينهى عن الفحشاء والمنكر والبغي يعظكم لعلكم تذكرون اذكروا الله يذكركم وادعوه يستجب لكم ولا ذكر الله تعالى اعلى واولى وعز وجل وتم واكبر والله يعلم ما تصنعون اقيم الصلاه الله اكبر الله اكبر الله اكبر الله اكبر لا اله الا الله لا اله الا الله أشهد أن محمد أشهد أن يا للصلاح يا للصلاح يا للفلاح يا للفلاح قد قامت الصلاة قد قامت الصلاة الله أكبر الله أكبر لا إله إلا الله الله أكبر الحمد لله رب العالمين الرحمن الرحيم مالك يوم الدين إياك نعبد وإياك نستعين إهدنا الصراط المستقيم صراط الذين أنعمت عليهم غير المغضوب عليهم ولا الضالين إن بطش ربك لشديد إن هو هو يبدئ ويعيد وهو الغفور الودود ذو العرش المجيد فعال لما يريد هل اتاك حديث الجنود فرعون وثمود بل الذين كفروا في تكذيب والله من ورائهم محيط بل هو قران مجيد في لوح محفوظ الله اكبر سمع الله لمن حمده الله اكبر الله الله أكبر الحمد لله رب العالمين الرحمن الرحيم مالك يوم الدين إياك نعبد وإياك نستعين إهدنا الصراط المستقيم صراط الذين أنعمت عليهم 
غير المغضوب عليهم ولا الضالين إذا جاء نصر الله والفتح ورأيت الناس يدخلون في دين الله أفواجا فسبح بحمد ربك واستغفر إنه كان توابا الله أكبر سمع الله لمن حمده الله أكبر الله أكبر الله أكبر الله أكبر السلام عليكم ورحمة الله السلام عليكم ورحمة الله بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم رب خير وانت خير الراحمين الحمد لله رب العالمين ولا قبة المتقين والصلاة والسلام على شرف الأنبياء والمرسلين ربنا تنا في الدنيا حسنة وفي الآخرة حسنة وقنا ذاب النار اللهم عنا لا ذكرك وشكرك وحسن عبادتك اللهم تب علينا إنك أنت التواب الرحيم اللهم حاسبنا حسابا يسيرا اللهم إنك عفو كريم رحيم تحب العفاف وأن يا كريم سبحان ربك رب العزة عما يصفون وسلام على المرسلين والحمد لله رب العالمين